0: Talk to you this morning and, and let me just I want to tell everybody this I've got a load this morning to drop off, and I mean a serious load to drop off of what I feel like God is doing. I cannot tell you, I can't put into words during this season how God has my heart as a pastor. Um you know I'm intense, I'm passionate, I'm wired prophetically, I see things typically before others do, and I try to point them out um, in a uh, not-so-shy way. And where I am right now, I I am in great travail, weekly. And and like I said last week, the next three weeks, don't miss. We have a word from the Lord. I'm I'm so excited about next week. I know I'm going to be tempted. To move into it, but I'm not going to. And um, honestly, people, there's something in me. We are in. I know that I will stand before the Lord and he he will know as a pastor and a shepherd how faithful I was or was not during this season. It's an epoch. This is a. I don't know what it's like when the. They invented the wheel. I don't know what it's like during the printing press. I don't know what it's like during World War II. I don't. I was born in '65. I have memories of Vietnam and President Nixon being um, impeached and then resigning. Brothers and sisters, this is a serious time in human history, and I want to be faithful to His Word, and I want to tell everybody. I've never done this. I've told our people, our staff, we don't want to talk politics. We just don't. And this is one of those do as I say, not as I do sermons. I'm not going to preach necessary politics. I will probably say something that everybody in this room will disagree with or be tempted to, and I would ask you please in the middle of the sermon or near the end or in the beginning, hang in there, hang in there, please don't leave and go, don't make any judgments or free judgments, and here's the deal, I know in this room there will be people vote two, maybe three different ways, and that's okay. Um, I don't have to agree with you, you don't have to agree with me, but I do, as a pastor and a Christian, I do have to love you. And it's not by our political identities that I gain the ability to love you. It's by the power of God's Spirit and the truth of His Word that truly I am able to love people I don't agree with. And we need a, a revival of common sense and common decency. In our culture, and the church should lead the way. So i want going to begin and talk from Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He prophesied at a time where he saw, listen, Babylon is coming in, and we are going to lose our culture as we know it. He was called the weeping prophet because the kings, those in charge, four different ones for him, they would not listen to him. The priests, the spiritual leaders were in compromise and they were not walking in close connection with Father God. In Jeremiah 6 verse 10 it says, this is him crying out, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them, they find no pleasure in it. Does that sound like American 2020 or what? Verse 13 says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. And he says here, Prophets and priests alike,
1: they all practice
0: deceit. They're more about them than they are about me, God would say. Verse 14, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace they say, when there is no peace or reason for it. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand, I want you to notice this. Is this highlighted? Well, I think it's a palette size. Stand at the crossroads. I read from the NIV because it uses that word, crossroads. Stand at the crossroads and look. Here's a few things he says, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls, but you said, we will not walk in it. I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, the trumpet which was the call for war. Attention. Something important's happening. I pointed, watching them over. You listened to the sound but you said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, you who are witnesses, observe what will happen to them. Hear, you earth. I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their schemes, because they have not listened to my words and have rejected my law. I want to go back to verse 16 and say this one more time. Stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask for the good way and walk in it and then you will find rest. It's in Proverbs 22 verse 28 says, Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. I want to just, as we begin this morning, I want us to understand, brothers and sisters, We are in a day where the boundaries have been moved. The rules have been changed. This is not our mom and dad's world that they grew up in. This is not even the the age of the 90s. It was Bill Clinton who who signed into law the Defense of Marriage Act that said one marriage is an institution where one man marries one woman. That was in 1996, just 24 years ago. And look where we are. The boundaries have been changed. And Solomon says, do not move the ancient boundaries. The prophet said, stand at the crossroads and sing and choose and walk In those ancient paths, our fathers, those who went before us knew some things that we need to relearn. And I want to begin with that thought. You say, Pastor Chuck, I don't know about talking about social and cultural issues. I know we've been politically, we've been made to think politically correct. You say, can a pastor or spiritual leader be political? Can they be too political? I would ask you, do you know the story of Moses in 1450 B.C. It was Moses who petitioned Pharaoh to let God's people go. It was Moses, because Pharaoh didn't do it, that he called down plagues on the king of Egypt. In 870 B.C., it was the, the prophet Elijah who challenged King Ahab and he has done godly politics. It was in 29 AD that John the Baptist confronts King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, taking his brother's life, and it cost him his life. It was in 30 AD that Pilate says to Jesus, Hey, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? To which Jesus replied, You, have, you would have no power except that it has been given to you from above. It was in 31 AD that Peter and John, getting political, when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities, when they were told not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they obeyed Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, where he says, We are not here to please men, but Paul said, We are here to please God. Since 1775 in early America, Would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the war for independence? Or in 1830, how political was the second great awakening, Charles Finney, who preached when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? Or in 1954, was separation of church and state being honored when George McPherson Doherty preached the sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? Or in 1963, what about the civil disobedience, the Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? You say, we should not talk about politics. We should not talk about government, but that is not a biblical concept. We must be involved in integrating our faith into our culture and how we vote and who we support politically has a lot to do with where we are spiritually. You see, it's only in recent years that pastors have been marginalized and silenced as it relates to government issues. This was not all, always the case. In our country, pastors for more than 200 years of our nation addressed these issues regularly. They wanted their people to be biblically literate, literate so that the people could make spiritually intelligent decisions about the candidates. God has been at the center of our religious freedom and faith and politics have been intertwined from the very beginning. It's in our Declaration of Independence in the first paragraph. It starts with the laws of nature and nature's God. It establishes in the second paragraph that our inalienable rights come not from government, but from our Creator. It appeals to the supreme judge of the world in the last paragraph, and it invokes the divine providence and the signature line of all 56 signers, when they pledged to each other their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor, then Congress actually instructed churches to read the Declaration of Independence from their steps so that America could know that declaration document. You see, it was Pastor Jonas Clark who formed that Minuteman militia with just 70 men from his church who fought against and defeated 700 British soldiers soldiers who marched against them in the first battle, the Battle of Lexington of the Revolutionary War, April 19, 1775. When the British were defeated in Lexington, they moved on to Concord. And we're met by Pastor William Emerson, the pastor of the church there, the grandfather of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who summoned 300 of his men to fight against the British in Concord. Listen to me. Pastors like John Peter Mullenberg from Woodstock, Virginia, who on January 21st, 1776 preached a message from his congregation. To his congregation from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, where it says, there is a time for everything and a season for everything under the sun. When he got to verse 8, which talks about there is a time for peace and there is a time for war, Pastor Muhlenberg said, this is no longer a time for peace. He removed his clerical robe and revealed that underneath it was He was wearing an officer's uniform in the Continental Army. He left the front of his church. He walked to the back and he asked, how many of you men are with me? 300 of his men followed him out the door that day, and this group formed the 8th Virginia Brigade in the Revolutionary War in the Continental Army. These are casters spiritual leaders leading the charge. It was in 1796 in George Washington's farewell address, he says this, religion and morality are indispensable supports of our political prosperity. Pastor Chuck, what went wrong? What changed? The boundaries changed. The ancient past have been there's rust that's grown up, we've ignored them, and we haven't walked down those paths, and we have a hard time finding those paths. Pastor Joe, why are so many pulpits and Christians silent today, honestly? It's because of our consumerism. It's because of our consumer Christianity. It's because spiritual leaders have become fearful and not courageous. Spiritual leaders have become politicians themselves and trying to gather the largest group of followers that they can gain. And this, my brothers and sisters, has created a weakened church in America. And we have a church that has no identity, has no idea how great their power and their authority and their access that they have to keep the They things. We have an American church that has a very small God view, and it's in 2020 that God has disrupted normal things and is awakening the church and there are It's not about Restoration Church, or Passion, or North Point, or Fellowship, or Arousal First Baptist. It's about the Kingdom of God. Not your church, not my church, but it's about His Kingdom. You say, what about the separation of church and state? We should talk about this. When Thomas Jefferson was president, he wrote a personal letter to the Danbury Baptist Association in Danbury, Connecticut. Listen, he wrote a letter to a bunch of Baptists in response to a letter they had sent him requesting clarification on the First Amendment. Jefferson wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists and said, don't worry, the First Amendment Is in place in order to protect you, the church, from any government intrusion or overreach. It's in that letter that Jefferson wrote, building, quote, building a wall of separation of church and state. It would be 150 years later, after Jefferson had penned those words that, Amongst the volume of his personal letters, it was used against him or it was twisted to mean something else. It was twisted to remove God from the public square and remove the church from any government influence. It was not to keep the church out of government, but to keep the government out of the church. And so I say, and I know this is, this podcast and this Facebook Live will fall in the hands of many people. I say, wake up! Yeah. I say not only to the spiritual leaders, but to Christians. Wake up! The alarm is sounding. Let us wake up. Yeah. Because if not, listen, you will be like Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Christian who stood against Nazi Germany and Hitler. And he said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. And I say to you, God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And the Nazis executed him in 1945 at the age of 39. Brothers and sisters, there there is. Please hold again. Don't let Buzzwords that Satan has hijacked and the media has twisted to cause you to be offended at me. But I will say this there is a liberal progressive agenda influenced by spiritual forces of evil that, if allowed to progress, it will be the demise of America as we know it. So, with that said, there, there are a lot of issues for us to consider. Um, there's foreign relations. There's the economy. There's conservative, biblical, religious issues. There's racial issues. There are there are many, many, many issues to consider. But I want to share, for me personally, this is just me, that there are three fundamental questions or issues for me in every election. And the first one is, and everybody again, I just say, it, hold on. Everybody take a deep breath, just real Don't let it out real fast. We're COVID-19. The first is the sanctity of life. Pro-life. Yeah. And I want to encourage you, this is not a conservative or liberal um fact sheet, I encourage everybody to go to VoteYourValues2020.com. You can take tests and see where you land on your beliefs, match up with local and state and national candidates. But let's talk about, on Vote Your Values, everybody listen to what we're getting ready to do. I'm getting ready on the three issues that are of primary importance for me. I'm getting ready to read you from each of the parties. Uh, website, their platform for this election So as it relates to pro-life, I'm not going to tell you which is which. You can go there yourself, or figure it out, Holy Spirit is here. There is discernment, and I'm sure you're engaged and smart enough to know who is who. But it says, on one of the party's websites, it says, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents, including Roe v. Wade. We believe every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion. We oppose and will fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers to women's reproductive health and rights." Another party says, Here's our platform. The Constitution's guarantee that no one can be deprived of life, liberty, or property deliberately echoes the Declaration of Independence's proclamation that all are endowed by their Creator with the inalienable right to life. Accordingly, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protections apply to children before birth. That's our two choices. There are 631 laws in the Old Testament. Most of them are ceremonial laws. Ten Commandments, and the sixth is, "Thou shalt not commit murder." And oftentimes we are left to deal with the consequences of bad decisions. Please hear me. History bears this out. It's the sexual revolution of the 60s that created hundreds and thousands and now millions of unwanted, unplanned pregnancies. 38% of Americans in 2000 were pro life. Recently, Today, among people who are 30 years and older, and that's Millennials and some Gen Zers, 51% are now pro-life. We have moved—here's the problem—we have moved from accepting abortion to accepting late-term abortion, from late-term abortion to partial birth abortion, to now, Afterbirth or post-birth abortion. Afterbirth abortion is a term invented by two philosophers, Alberto Giolini and Francesca Minerva. In the journal of medical ethics, they propose this. When circumstances occur after birth such that they would be would have justified abortion, what we call afterbirth abortion should be permissible. We propose to call this practice afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide to emphasize that the moral status of the individual killed is comparable with that of a fetus rather than than to that of a child. Therefore, we claim that killing a newborn could be ethically permissible in all the circumstances where abortion would be. Such circumstances include cases where the newborn has the potential to have an acceptable life, but the well-being of the family is at risk. Are you kidding me? Proverbs chapter 6 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, a lion tongue, and the third one is hands that shed innocent blood. I don't like talking about this, Is there anything more innocent than an unborn baby? Genesis 9 teaches verse 5, and from each human being I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. We talk a lot about corporate blessing and all that we lost in that and all that we gained in Jesus. Please hear me. I don't have time to talk about this for long, but it's a great sermon. It's a great teaching. Achan, in, in Joshua chapter 6, his sin caused his whole family to be stoned. In the one city, God said, I will spare if you can find 50, if you can find, all right, if you can just find 10 people, I will spare. it. Brothers and sisters, may our hearts break for what's happening in our culture. You cannot take life without there being, innocent life without there being repercussions. We are under the curse of 60 million babies that have been aborted. Psalm 139 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says before I formed you in your mother's body I chose you. Before you were born I set you apart to serve me. We have things like Planned Parenthood. Please hear me. We have no idea and the media has covered it up and twisted it. We have people on camera talking about selling parts of babies. We have Margaret Sanger who founded Planned Parenthood, and please hear me, we're going into PG-13, a 1939 letter to Dr. C.J. Gamble, her partner if you will. Margaret Sanger urged him to get over his reluctance to hire a full-time Negro physician as the colored Negroes can get closer to their own members and more or less lay their cards on the table, which means their ignorance, superstitions, and doubt. And for us, like the abortion lobby today, Margaret Sanger urged Dr. Gamble, listen, to enlist the help of spiritual leaders to justify their deadly work, and she wrote, We do not want word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea, if it ever occurs, to any of their more rebellious members. 60 million babies slain since 1973. 18 million black babies. The first and today most Planned Parenthood Taxpayer-supported abortion centers are in primarily African American neighborhoods. Abortion is the major justice issue of our day. If you were in love with Jesus and understood His word in 1860, you stood against slavery, when many and most Christians did not. In 2020, if you love Jesus, and you understand his word, you stand against abortion. You don't justify Listen, in the Civil War era, in the Civil War era, there were many Bible-believing Christians who rationalized slavery. Thirty years ago, in that little usher's room, I stood with white men who served in this church and argue with them when they put forth their idea that that African Americans, that blacks, are less than in this community. Hear me he brothers and sisters, I'm not gonna. Y'all know me. those of you, if this is this your first time? We're bringing bulk barrels, but be home bringing bring a barrel. This is it. Everything is it. This is it. And again, I don't get on trendy topics. In fact, oftentimes I avoid it because every other pastor's using it. Come on. Please. And my brother-in-law and I we gathered again, another group of pastors, 13 pastors this week. My brother-in-law and sister, many of you know, Bruce and Ronda. They've given their lives at in the inner city down on the West Bank. Uh, um, uh, Joseph E. Boone on the west side. they My brother-in-law's church, they, he and his five girls and my sister lived in their church on 14th Street. They've broken into it 37 times in three years. He has given his life to serve other races. They tried to get him out as the white pastor in the hood. And here we are, still. We gathered uh, in August. John, I have a John 17 project Christians, listen, there is no social, governmental, political solution for racial unity. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. We don't make racial harmony one of our vision, the core values. Jesus is our core value. I'm a pastor. Friend, who started planting his church, and there's over 5,000 people in his church, and one of his core values has not been core, and it's in this this side of Atlanta. And he, they planted their church, and there was a lot of racial unity. And just as soon as there were over 50% blacks, and the whites fell in the minority, he had problems everywhere. So racial unity. We don't, oh, I don't want to, get to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to say it's not about being colorblind. I see your color, and I admire the Creator, and I see the beauty in all colors, and it's not in programs. It's in G If we lift Jesus up, He will draw all men to Himself, and we will be enamored with Him and barely notice each other or our differences. It's about, lift, or not, it's about lifting Jesus up. Amen. This is Jesus. This is His Word. We lift Him up. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit begins to solve problems and bless and prosper and change hearts. Yeah. I'm talking about being the sanctity of life. But what about rape and insects? What about Human trafficking. My little niece runs House of and I'm not involved, but our family is and has been for a long time. And hear me, I know that there's probably more than one person here who abortion has touched your life. And there's more than one person here that it was a viable option because the pregnancy and the challenge. and and the life that came from the womb and I'm sensitive to that and and you are loved and you are forgiven and I have people close to me who have walked this road, blood relatives and they would stand to you before you today and they would say, I did it, I'm forgiven but I would never do it again. And we can't let political correctness and we can't let an oversensitivity to our past eliminate subjects that we need to grapple with. We need to talk about the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And if we lose our past and makes it irrelevant. The second issue, and I won't be so long on these next two is, everybody get ready, (laughs) the Bible teaches that we are to be pro-Israel. This is a subject in today's politically correct world with racial tension that it's not taught. It's, I had a man in our church come to me this past week and say, I moved to Atlanta and he called the year and he said it's the first time in 37 years a pastor, he has heard a pastor talk about standing with Israel in the Abrahamic Covenant. One party says we recognize the worth of every Israeli and every Palestinian. That's why we will work to help bring to an end a conflict that has brought so much pain to so many. We support a negotiated two-state solution. That ensures Israel's future as a Jewish and democratic state with recognized borders and upholds the right of Palestinians (laughs) to live in freedom and security in a viable state of their own. Democrats oppose any unilateral steps by either side, including annexation that undermine prospects for two states. Another party says Beyond our mutual strategic interests, Israel is likewise an exceptional country that shares our most essential values. It is the only country in the Middle East where freedom of speech and freedom of religion are found. Therefore, support for Israel is an expression of Americanism, and it is the responsibility of our government to advance policies that reflect America's strong desire for a relationship with no daylight between America and Israel. We oppose any measures intended to oppose an agreement or to dictate orders on other terms and we call for the immediate termination of all U.S. funding of any entity that attempts to do so. Our party is proud to stand with Israel now and always. Pastor Chuck, where are you getting all that? Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Human history bears out that God has been true to the Abrahamic covenant. I don't have time to get into it, but the history of this nation, we have prospered like no other nation on the face of God's green earth, and it is because we have stood with God's people, God's nation, the nation of Israel. Psalm 122 verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, May they prosper who love you. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, we, are, we love Arabs, we love Muslims, we love Herod Christians, we love, and God does. And they were all created in the image of our Heavenly Father. But let me say, the past four presidents have promised to move the American Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, but they did not keep their promise. From the Vice President, Remarks by Vice President at the American Israel Public Affairs Committee Policy Conference this past summer, he said, We stand with Israel today for the same reasons the American people have always stood with Israel. We stand with Israel because her cause is our cause. Her values are our values. Her fight is our fight. We stand with Israel because we believe in right over wrong, in good over evil, in liberty over tyranny. And we stand with Israel because we cherish that ancient promise that Americans have always cherished throughout our history. That those who bless her will be blessed. Wow. Come on, I am pro-life, pro-Israel, pro-religious freedom. One party says, we celebrate America's history of religious pluralism and tolerance, and we recognize the countless acts of service of our faith communities, as well as the paramount importance of maintaining the separation between church and state enshrined in our constitution might remember the early part of the sermon? The drafter of this platform did not hear my sermon this morning. Listen to me. That is not in the Constitution. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. That is not in the Bill of Rights. Another party says, We value the right of America's religious leaders to preach, and Americans to speak freely according to their faith, whatever it be. We believe the federal government, specifically the IRS, is constitutionally prohibited from policing or censoring speech based on religious convictions or beliefs. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. We strongly support the freedom of Americans to act in accordance with their religious beliefs, not only in their houses of worship, but also in their everyday lives. Amen? Amen? The First Amendment says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. That's the First Amendment. And I know it's in 2020, and it's not been easy for anybody in 2020. But for the first time in 2,000 years, the church has been deemed, in most states, non-essential. While abortion clinics, alcohol stores, and marijuana dispensaries California have been deemed essential. Are you awake yet? I know I'm nearing the end of an overload sermon, but how many of you are still you got a spiritual pulse and you may come back next week. <laughs> California churches have been told that they can't meet except for very small groups. They can't pray in houses. They can't continue, or the pastor, if they do, the pastor will be arrested, put in jail for up to one year, and they will be fined for $1,000. And if the church continues, each member can be jailed or attended for a a year and be fined $1,000 as well, per person. They also threaten to arrest church attenders. What we're seeing in California can happen across America. The California churches were allowed to open up briefly and then they were told that they can't sing or chant. Now hold on. I understand, and and we in March shut down. If not meeting in person for a time, could flatten the curve and save lives, we are all about doing that, and we did, without any rebellion or self-righteousness. But I thank God for our governor in this state, who even against the president's wishes when the president stood against him, our state was reopened, our economy and our churches have been allowed to function, and we are recovering from both the economy and the virus more quickly and fully than most other states. So please don't hear me saying, we should have just met the whole time. We have walked this tight road. when and I tell you, God has held my heart in His hand. When I've not known what to do, and when I've known whatever He's calling me to do, the next step. That I'm to take somebody's not going to like it. But God has protected my heart. He's protected our church. Yes. He's blessed our church. Yes. There have been people get the virus here. Many have become very sick, but we have not lost a single person. And if you remember in March, I said. We are not going to lose anybody. I said, we're not even going to get this virus. I lied. (laughs) But I was going to confess positively in faith. And if we get it, it ain't going to get us. So there you go. Say, go out there this morning. Listen, come on. If you've been around here for four or five months, you know and under a cloud of protection, of anointing, of blessing. <laughs> to God be the glory, and we are not unaware of His of benefits to us. <laughs> Speaking of pro religious freedom, we're in a culture that's redefining marriage. Part of what's gotten us to this place and the craziness. I'm going to go here. Our culture had spun out of control so far, and it was not one political party's fault. It was both of their fault. We have had politicians who were selfish, who were manipulative, who were dishonest, and were not leading for the public good or the common good of most of the people. And it's in that craziness that we as a culture you this, we were spinning out of control. And that's why this country, like him or not, support him or not, and there are times I don't like him. And I wish he acted differently. But that's why we said we're done with politicians, and this country said, put a businessman in there. Hold on, don't leave, don't turn me off yet. You go, well, I just want someone with a more gentle personality. Me too. I want somebody that doesn't even have a Twitter account. Can <laughs> I get a witness? I think God I don't know what I'm They should have shut it down a long time ago. <laughs> and this, this guy is a more gentle personality. you go, but I like the robust pro-Christian (laughs) policies. Me too. And you're going, can we just find someone, hear me, can we just find someone with the right, strong biblical policies that has godly character and that I would feel comfortable sitting with on Sunday morning? Our political process won't let that guy run. And that guy or gal will not run. Because we've created circus. Do you know who's going to be that guy with the right policy, the right character? That guy's going to be Jesus. And he's going to reign and he's going to establish his We've redefined marriage, we've said boys and girls can use the same bathroom of their gender identity, we've targeted churches using the IRS as a weapon, we've been forced to deal with the fact that we may be told who we are to marry even if it is counter to our spiritual beliefs, and we have to have a policy on who we will and will not marry. And we are vulnerable. Our politicians lost their common sense and this gave away to America electing a crazy person as our president. We've been told to lock down, shut in, mask up, while protesters are allowed to march even riot. And the protesters were told by the California governor, we want to commend you. Your voices need to be heard. You need to exercise your First Amendment right and God bless you, they were told. No, God bless you to the churches. And hear me, I'm not against protesting. That's the beautiful thing about our nation. Yes. You can protest yes. the right, the freedom to say what you want to say. Thank God I get to be the pastor and say what I want to say. We both have that. And I'm getting ready and just get real. We had two protesters here last night at the church, protesting the church service that we had last night. It was actually a, a Ukrainian Slavic group that leased our space, and I was here to just kind of oversee. And they came and told me there was a couple of protesters. I immediately thought, I love this country. We went out and talked to them, and I said. After talking to them and discerning what they were about, I said, I'm politely asking you to leave. And I had my Jesus culture t shirt on. And he said, and that t shirt you got, he wanted to tell me, he was starting to tell me all the things he doesn't like about Bethel Church and Jesus culture and all this stuff. And I read about it all too. And I just said, now is not the time for that. I'm going to ask you one more time, politely, to leave. he turned around and you know? left. Yeah, Dick got with him. They thought he turned around and he him. <laughs> Seriously. The greater is he who is in and he who is We should be pro-religious freedom. Felons have been released from jails, while pastors are being threatened that they'll take their place in jail. Proverbs 14.24 says, I wish I had time to break this down, five to eight minutes. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproof. Make no mistake, my friends, America has been blessed because of its commitment to God. However, listen, our, our history is being revised. Let me, let me, do you know our nation is not perfect? I wish the founding fathers, oh, how I wish they had been more sensitive and not own slaves and abuse slaves sexually and otherwise, and we've come a long way. Do you know there are 195 nations in the UN right now, and 94 of them, slavery is still legal? We don't know this. That's why our leader, there is hypocrisy everywhere. We had Pastor uh, Peter Wadura from Kenya here last week. And he was talking about the tribal wars in his country. He said, You Americans don't even know about real racial war and tension. Listen, I believe this about America. We have a checkered, colorful past. And there are things that I'm ashamed of. But we have been and still are a good nation. And God has had his hand on us. And I thank God that, I want to say this so carefully, that we are moving past some of our sins of racism. I thank God that a black man can rise to take the office of the United States president. Anybody? out here from that? I pray that God will correct every wrong, every thing don't even know or see. May His kingdom come. His will be done in this nation. Now let me bring this to a close by saying this. Dr. Earl Flutzer, who was the pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago wrote a book years ago that I have on my my shelf. When a nation forgets God in in the subtitle Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. He quotes in that book A German eyewitness, please listen, who reflected on the apathy and indifference of the church during World War II. In the book, Lutzer quotes this German eyewitness, and I'm going to read from the book. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because what we could what could we do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance, and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed when we heard the cries coming from the trains as they passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time the train was coming. And when we heard the whistle blow, we began singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we sang more loudly. And soon, we heard them no more. And then the eyewitness shared with Pastor Luther, although years have passed, I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. I want to close in just a second. If you guys will, in just a second. You remember last week in Matthew chapter 24, we talked about the disciples who had been out, they were country boys. They were in Jerusalem. The week of Passion Week, right before Jesus was crucified, and they, they looked at the temple, Solomon's temple, and said, look at that, and Jesus said, the day will come when not one stone on that temple will stand on another. And you, and you may go, Pastor Chuck, look at the American church. Look at America. We're America. I would say to you, when you see a picture or a postcard from Jerusalem with the skyline, you probably don't realize what's in that picture. Yeah. If you'll take a look at this right here, you see the wailing wall right there. That's the former western wall of Solomon's temple and do you see what's over on the other side in case you don't know that's a mosque the dome of the rock built in the 7th century where Solomon's temple was many of us don't know the history of what that represents and those Jewish people who heard Jesus say the day will come when not one stone stand on another. They didn't believe it. And look what still stands. In the 11th century, it, it, it caved in and they rebuilt it. And still to this day, I would say that is a picture that you, uh, you and I, Jesus said to them, when they said, Jesus, how will we know when that's going to happen? And Jesus' first word was, do not watch out that no one deceives you. Holy Spirit, I pray in this place that we would walk with you, that we would hear you, that we would embrace your word, your calling, that we would be true, bona fide, courageous, strong Christians that are salt and light in the name of Jesus. In our crazy world right now, I pray that you would lift the veil of deception. In Jesus' name, hereby stand with me. Look here. I want to show you a picture of you. Everybody look. I'm going to give you a before picture of the election. It's about to happen in a week and a half. Everybody look. This is Pastor Chuck Ramsey before the election. Everybody got that? Here's a picture after the election. Here's the post election picture. Yes. Yeah. All right, and let me see your post election picture. Look around. If Joe Biden wins, God is on the throne. If Donald Trump wins, God is still on the throne. If nobody wins, and Nancy Pelosi is our president, Lord Jesus, I don't know what to do. Even if Nancy, No fear, no fear, no fear. Cheon, I heard him a week or two weeks ago. That person, Lisa quoted, perfect love casts out all fear. It's It's a unique use of the word fear. It's not the typical use in the New Testament, the Greek word phobia. It's a different word and it's only used one other time and it's in Revelation. And it's where it talks about those who will be separated from God. And it uses the word, they're cowardly. And that's a strong word when we say perfect love casts out all cowardice or lack of courage. Perfect love casts it out. I want, and I've I asked God as we look at His Word. That God would just drive into us a still spine, a heart full of faith, a mouth full of prayers that are flowing over from our heart that's filled up with his word. The church is going to be okay, ladies and gentlemen. The church is going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Amen. okay? Amen? i am asking them to sing this song one more time as an anthem. And as we sing it, I pray that something will happen in the heavenly realms. And our... Whew. Just remember, you should read all of 2 Chronicles 7. Don't just read verse 14, but just know this. God didn't say that the Republicans would get their act together. I will heal this land. He didn't say that the Democrats would get their... He said, if my people, if the church, will get themselves together, humble themselves, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. How many of you believe God is able to heal our <laughs> land? Come on. We praise you, so Father. So let's face this up as we're going.